Section 8 of Grey's Anatomy, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 1, by Henry Grey. Development of the Body Cavities. In the human embryo, described by Peters, the mesoderm outside the embryonic disc is split into two layers, enclosing an extra-embryonic column. There is no trace of an intra-embryonic column. At a later stage, four cavities are formed within the embryo. These, one on either side, within the mesoderm of the pericardial area, and one in either lateral mass of the general mesoderm. All these are at first independent of each other and of the extra-embryonic coelom, but later they become continuous. The two cavities in the general mesoderm unite on the ventral aspect of the gut and form the pleural peritoneal cavity, which becomes continuous with the remains of the extra-embryonic coelom around the umbilicus. The two cavities in the pericardial area rapidly join to form a single pericardial cavity, and this from two lateral diverticula extend calderward to open into the pleural peritoneal cavity. Between the two latter diverticula is a mass of mesoderm containing the ducts of Cuvier, and this is continuous ventrally with the mesoderm in which the umbilical veins are passing to the sinus venosus. A septum of mesoderm thus extends across the body of the embryo. It is attached in front to the body wall, between the pericardium and umbilicus, behind the body wall at the level of the second cervical segment. Laterally, it is deficient where the pericardial pleural peritoneal cavities communicate, while it is perforated in the middle line by the foregut. This partition is termed septum transversum, and is at first a bulky plate of tissue. As development proceeds, the dorsal end of the septum is carried gradually calderward, and when it reaches the fifth cervical segment, muscular tissue with the phrenic nerve grows into it. It continues to recede, however, until it reaches the position of the adult diaphragm on the bodies of the upper lumbar vertebrae. The liver buds grow into the septum transversum and undergo development there. The lung buds, meantime, have grown out from the foregut and project laterally into the forepart of the pleural peritoneal cavity. The developing stomach and liver are embedded in the septum transversum. Caldell to this, the intestines project into the back part of the pleural peritoneal cavity. Owing to the descent of the dorsal end of the septum transversum, the lung buds come to lie above the septum, and thus pleural and peritoneal portions of the pleural peritoneal cavity, still, however, in free communication with one another, may be recognized. The pericardial cavity opens into the pleural part. The ultimate separation of the permanent cavities from one another is effected by the growth of a ridge of tissue on either side of the mesoderm surrounding the duct of Cuvier. The front part of this ridge grows across and obliterates the pleural pericardial opening. The hinder part grows across the pleural peritoneal opening. With the continued growth of the lungs, the pleural cavities are pushed forward in the body wall towards the ventral median line thus separating the pericardium from the lateral thoracic walls. The further development of the peritoneal cavity has been described with the development of the digestive tube. 
the form of the embryo at different stages of its growth. First week. During this period, the ovum is in the uterine tube. Having been fertilized in the upper part of the tube, it slowly passes down, undergoing segmentation, and reaches the uterus. Peters describes a specimen, the age of which he reckoned as from three to four days. Footnote. Bryce and Teacher, Early Development and Embedding of the Human Ovum, 1908, have described an ovum, which they regard as thirteen to fourteen days old. In it, the two vesicles, the amnion and yolk sac, were present, but there was no trace of a layer of embryonic ectoderm. They are of opinion that the age of Peter's ovum has been understated and estimated as between thirteen and one-half and fourteen and one-half days. End footnote. It was embedded in the decidua on the posterior wall of the uterus and enveloped by a decidua capsularis the central part of which, however, consisted merely of a layer of fibrin. The ovum was in the form of a sac, the outer wall of which consisted of a layer of trophoblast. Inside this was a thin layer of mesoderm composed of round, oval, and spindle-shaped cells. Numerous villous processes, some consisting of trophoblast only, others possessing a core of mesoderm, projected from the surface of the ovum into the surrounding decidua. Inside this sac, the rudiment of the embryo was found in the form of a patch of ectoderm, covered by a small but completely closed amnion. It possessed a minute yolk sac and was surrounded by mesoderm, which was connected by a band to that lining the trophoblast. Second week. By the end of this week, the ovum has increased considerably in size, and the majority of its villi are vascularized. The embryo has assumed a definite form and its cephalic and caudal extremities are easily distinguished. The neural folds are partly united. The embryo is more completely separated from the yolk sac, and the paraxial mesoderm is being divided into the primitive segments. Third week. By the end of the third week, the embryo is strongly curved, and the primitive segments number about thirty. The primary divisions of the brain are visible, and the optic and auditory vesicles are formed. Four branchial grooves are present. The stomodium is well marked, and the bucopharyngeal membrane has disappeared. The rudiments of the limbs are seen as short buds, and the wolfian bodies are visible. Fourth week. The embryo is markedly curved on itself, and when viewed in profile is almost circular in outline. The cerebral hemispheres appear as hollow buds, and the elevations which form the rudiments of the auricula are visible. The limbs now appear as oval, flattened projections. Fifth week. The embryo is less curved, and the head is relatively of large size. Differentiation of the limbs into their segments occurs. The nose forms a short, flattened projection. The colloquial tubercle is evident. Sixth week. The curvature of the embryo is further diminished. The branchial grooves, except the first, have disappeared, and the rudiments of the fingers and toes can be recognized. Seventh and eighth weeks. The flexure of the head is gradually reduced, and the neck is somewhat lengthened. The upper lip is completed, and the nose is more prominent. The nostrils are directed forward, and the palate is not completely developed. The eyelids are present in the shape of folds above and below the eye, 
and the different parts of the auricula are distinguishable. By the end of the second month, the fetus measures from 28 to 30 millimeters in length. Third month. The head is extended and the neck is lengthened. The eyelids meet and fuse, remaining closed until the end of the sixth month. The limbs are well developed and nails appear on the digits. The external generative organs are so far differentiated that it is possible to distinguish the sex. By the end of this month, the length of the fetus is about 7 centimeters. But if the legs be included, it is from 9 to 10 centimeters. Fourth month. The loop of gut, which projected into the umbilical cord, is withdrawn within the fetus. The hairs begin to make their appearance. There is a general increase in size, so that by the end of the fourth month, the fetus is from 12 to 13 centimeters in length. But if the legs be included, it is from 16 to 20 centimeters. Fifth month. It is during this month that the first movements of the fetus are usually observed. The eruption of hair on the head commences, and the vernix cassiosa begins to be deposited. By the end of this month, the total length of the fetus, including the legs, is from 25 to 27 centimeters. Sixth month. The body is covered by fine hairs, lanugo, and the deposit of vernix cassiosa is considerable. The papillae of the skin are developed, and the free border of the nail projects from the corium of the dermis. Measured from vertex to heels, the total length of the fetus at the end of this month is from 30 to 32 centimeters. Seventh month. The pupillary membrane atrophies, and the eyelids are open. The testes descends with the vaginal sac of the peritoneum. From vertex to heels, the total length at the end of the seventh month is from 35 to 36 centimeters. The weight is a little over three pounds. Eighth month. The skin assumes a pink color and is now entirely coated with vernix cassiosa, and the langua begins to disappear. Subcutaneous fat has been developed to a considerable extent, and the fetus presents a plump appearance. The total length, that is, from head to heels, at the end of the eighth month, is about 40 centimeters, and the weight varies between four and one-half and five and one-half pounds. Ninth month. The langua has largely disappeared from the trunk. The umbilicus is almost in the middle of the body, and the testes are in the scrotum. At full time, the fetus weighs from six and one-half to eight pounds, and measures from head to heels about 50 centimeters. End of section 8